RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So I've been looking forward to speaking with our next guest here at Reality Check Radio. She's been on already before on the uh, Marie Busky show, Counterculture. I'm talking about Dr. Naomi Wolf. I've been watching Dr. Wolf for about the last three years through uh, social media podcasts, appearances on the, the War Room, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm really interested to be able to talk to her now. So welcome, Dr. Naomi Wolf, to our program. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, it's been quite a journey for you, right? Because your origins are kind of on the left. But now, where are you? I <laughs> I, <laughs> I, haven't changed. I mean, I still consider myself a classical liberal, which used to stand for believing in freedom of speech, human rights, um, equal dignity of all people, no discrimination, um, transparency, skepticism about big government and big corporations. And I, you know, I'm still the same, but uh, since 2020, and especially since I became critical of the lockdowns and the pandemic and the um, mRNA injections, which is completely in alignment with all the work I've done my whole life, being skeptical of industrialized C-sections, being skeptical of breast implants, being skeptical of um, what's causing anorexia, being skeptical of pornography and its effect on society. I mean, what have I not been skeptical about, right? And that, you know, in the past just meant that I was a journalist, but now being a journalist is taboo. So since 2020, actually 2021, when I was deplatformed from Twitter for accurately calling attention to women accurately reporting menstrual problems with these mRNA injections, um, the legacy media won't talk to me anymore. And so the only people who talk to me, sorry, are on the right. And I'm happy to talk to anyone about the constitution or about social issues. But I guess, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, the left is kind of aligning me with the right because I talk to the right and to libertarians and to independent media, but legacy media won't talk to me. So I hope that answers your question. So what do you think happened to to the left as we understand it now, see it now, because it does seem to be a left-driven sort of situation. It, it's coming from that angle, and it never – I mean, I'm an old lefty, I, I guess I could say, and and it, it just feels like the the whole thing's just walked away. It's just walked away yeah. from me. Wow, that's so sad. And you're based in New Zealand, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. And is it the same kind of dynamic there that the left went crazy? Yeah. Totally. So this is a phenomenon that's kind of in Western countries, seems global to our group of countries. Yeah. I mean, usually at this point in a conversation, I caution people that the kind of lockstep nonsense narratives, you know, did roll out exactly the same in nations led by conservatives like Britain um, or Australia, you know, under Scott Morrison. you know, just as they did with nominal liberals like Justin Trudeau or Macron, and that the World Economic Forum is really the kind of puppet master over all of this and not to kind of get too hung up on ideology because, you know, the script we're being asked to 
with which we're being asked to comply transcends ideology. That said, there is something, I mean, I do have to acknowledge that there's something particularly contaminating the left globally. And that is, I'm so sorry to say it, Marxism, like straight up Chinese Communist Party generated propaganda to get the West to forget what Western freedoms are and to kind of break our memory of the progressive tradition which is so based in freedoms and freedoms of speech and assembly and and conscience and to kind of embrace an increasingly doctrinaire straight up marxism i mean it's right out of the pages of the history books you know look at what's happening in my country president trump was indicted and 19 of his colleagues were indicted with him and they're planning for all of these people being tried together. And when I read that, you know, so many times these days you think, oh, where have I read that in the 1930s and 1940s in a totalitarian society? So that those are Stalinist show trials and those are um, Maoist um, cultural revolution uh, show trials, essentially. But there, there are so many parallels. I mean, I read the Green New Deal and I guess Naomi Klein is mad at me and has written a whole book about how upsetting it is for her to be mistaken for me. But um, she's I think she's mad at me partly because I read the Green New Deal. I'm a liberal. My dad was a communist. You know, I descend from those immigrant Jewish, you know, like Marxists, you know, what can I say? I mean, I, I don't kind of hunt for reds under the bed reflexively, but Marxism is bad. All the countries that have tried it, it ended in tears. And the Green New Deal literally, like I read the legislation, it literally put all of the economy related to energy and infrastructure into the hands of 15 unelected cadre members, basically, and and gave them all this power in a centrally planned economy. And, you know, where do you have that? You have that in Marxist societies. Where do you have this notion? And I'm seeing it on the left so much, like they can't engage with people who don't agree with them anymore. Mm. It breaks my heart. It's friends of mine. It's relatives of mine. It's people I love. So many friendships have ended people I love relatives, but everyone says the same thing. You know, you try to bring some evidence to them that isn't in alignment with the narrative that ensorcels them and they'll throw a tantrum and walk away or say, we're not doing this. I'm not having this debate as if you can unilaterally stop having a debate. You know, that didn't used to be an option. That's a communist option. You know, we're just not going to talk about it. You know, that's off. That's, that's, that's not um, right. Think. Um, so this definitely, I see these things and I wrote about this in my book, the bodies of others, you know, social distancing, that's so communist, you know, the state tells you where to walk, you know, you can't have more than six people in your house. I mean, all of these, um, um, what is the word seizures of power of private life, um, or, or just liberties, Western liberties by the state, you know, since 2020, those are Marxist claims that, you know, I have a right to to say what goes into your body. I have a right to turn you away from this building if you haven't complied with the regime. I have a, you know, I have the right to tell you where to stand or what to put on your face. These are really ch- Chinese, you know, communist um, cultural dicta. They're not Western and they've been um, seeded throughout the West, uh, certainly using AI. I mean, it happened all at once. And at first I didn't understand how the same 
phrases could happen all at once all around the world. You know, you're going to kill your grandmother if you hug her, you know, in Urdu, in in Hebrew, in, you know, Swedish and Finnish. But AI can do that. And now now I know that, you know, now we know that journalism is being produced by AI. So that's how they did that. But yes, that's my best guess. What do you think happened to the left? Well, I don't know. One thing I do wonder is 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 how that way of thinking was flipped so easily. Right. And and I wonder, you know, you, well, AI is an interesting dimension because you can kind of, you know, line the ducks up there and see how, how the power of that can be brought to bear. But it seemed that people were up for it. Yeah. It didn't take long before, you know, all those things that you just sort of checked off there, distancing number of people in your house, you know, um, not um, or giving up body bodily autonomy. That was just like thrown away overnight. It's and that's, true. The, that's well, the thing that I wonder how that happened so easily. Well, and in yeah. New Zealand, like I vis- I love New Zealand. I loved New Zealand. And I remember thinking this is the most progressive civilization I've ever been to. It was the most, it had the smallest um, gender gap in, in pay. I, I really respected how New Zealand was relatively to other countries trying to like acknowledge um, Aboriginal cultures, histories. And uh, you guys were like a Petri dish of tyranny, you know, you in Australia and, and Israel and Canada, but I'm horrified that, you know, a country as free and as um, sane as New Zealand could could flip, just like I'm horrified that Canada, which used to be one of the sanest countries in the world, could flip overnight. Um, and honestly, I don't understand it fully. I mean, I've said this before, you can, and I've written it, you know, and it's, I've got a new book coming out that kind of goes into this called Facing the Beast, but you can look at what happened to the world and the fact that people overnight, people who wouldn't put, you know, non-organic sunscreen on their bodies would suddenly line up to take an experimental injection, right? Or people who have advocated for my body, my choice, you know, feminists for decades would suddenly throw that notion away. Um, or, Or people who always protected their children would shove their children in harm's way, right? Or, well, in my favorite horrible example, because I'm not vaccinated and I'm in Brooklyn right now. Well, a year and a half ago, I couldn't walk into a building and eat a meal with my family here because- I know, you know that I, one. I'm in the same situation. I know that one. Oh, it, is that still happening in New Zealand? No, but it was at the time it and, and it, right. was brutal. You never, it was brutal. You never, I'm so sorry. It was brutal. You never forget that. Like everyone's moved on. You, you, we're, we're never going to forget what that felt like. Hmm. And, and that completely, there's a moral stain on your society and mine that so many people, people who believe in gay marriage, people who would never discriminate against black people, people who'd never discriminate against Asian people, you know, or disabled people, they were fine. They were fine, you know, closing the door to creating a two-tier society overnight. And to this day, they're fine with it. Like there's no soul searching. What have we done? You know, what did we do in 2021? How do we explain that? Because I'm very curious about that too. You know, what drives that? I, I trailed off. I should have said there There really kind of isn't a rational, materialist, political way to explain it. Is it I've too looked, much to face? No, I think it's um, 
I, I think there's something metaphysical at work. I was going to ask really you about that because I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Is Do we have to think about those kind of explanations to try and make some sort of sense? Well, first of all, the scale of it, because the scale is mind-blowing, and the intricacy of of the, 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 the chronology of the way it worked seemed to be incredibly well thought out. So fast. Would that, would that be right? Well, I don't want to ever say that we have to think about it because I'm Jewish and in my religion, you're not supposed to proselytize. And also just, I believe so much in freedom of conscience. I never want to tell people what to think about spiritual matters. Yeah. But I personally- well, no, we consider it. We consider right. it. Well, I, I think- I think we should consider it because I can't find any other explanation. As you mentioned two things, the um, the scale and the speed, right? And those are not human. And the, like, accuracy, the accuracy. The accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've studied politics, human politics, my whole career. And you can, you know, you can recognize like people, bad people do bad things. You can recognize what that looks like. This, but even so, there's always a traitor to the group or someone, you know, factions or backstabbing, things don't go according to plan. That's human history. This didn't operate like human history. This operated like some metaphysical power. I personally feel like God checked out, you know, and kind of said, You want to do it yourselves? See how it goes. (laughs) It's all yours. See how it feels. Exactly. And And then another energy, like you could feel it in 2020 to 2021, another energy was on the planet. I'm not sure it's gone, but it was a dark energy. And I, you know, I've been writing about this in my essays. We're so out of practice thinking about metaphysical Hmm. issues, right? Hmm. But I kind of came to believe in God more literally because the evil that I saw was so impressive, as you say, and the scale was so vast and it was so effective so quickly, as you point out, beyond human capability. And so I thought, well, something this bad has to be aimed at something good. Like there's no reason for this scale of evil unless God exists. And and look at what it targeted, right? Babies, pregnancy, um, breastfeeding, um, love, intimacy, sexuality, love. Exactly. you know, people praying together, right? It, yes, exactly. Um, play, children breathing, children singing, uh, you know, human creativity. I mean, all these things that m- give us meaning as human beings and make us more than animals and more than slaves. That's what these policies targeted. So, I mean, to me, I've I've had to think about evil. I've been like reading the Old Testament. I'm, you know, really, I don't think anything else can explain it. I wish it, I wish I could explain it with, well, these are just bad people, or these are just the Democrats on a, you know on a rampage, or, but it, it it never ever ever have all of the elites all over the world aligned in such detail about anything. Can you name a time in human history it happened? It's never happened. Yeah, um, I know that you've, with your group, uh, have looked into a lot of the, well, the, the Pfizer papers and things like that that have been coming out. And I, I'm wondering, because you think that information is power, you hear that information, some of us do, and we're shocked and we're kind of not surprised now. But is that having any sort of effect? Is that like sort of biting in 
anywhere? Is it waking anyone up? Or is this thing so kind of powerful that even that really doesn't drill into people? What well, we are having an effect. And if people uh, listening are, are not sure, you know, I should – I should explain what you're referring to. We have a project where yeah, we have thirty five hundred. That. Oh, that's okay. I'll, don't worry. I'm yakky enough to. I think that. I think most of our uh, listeners are probably aware of some of this anyway. Oh, so really? Oh, okay. But well, anyway, carry on. Sorry. Okay, no problem. So, so we've got these experts, these thirty five hundred experts, reading through the Pfizer documents, and they've issued seventy nine reports now in ordinary English that anyone can read about what's in those documents, and it is. Uh, the greatest crime against humanity in recorded history um, it, with a special focus on destroying reproduction. And sure enough, uh, there's a 13% drop in live births um, around the world, 13 to 20% drop. Uh, someone just posted that Sweden had like a 23% drop in live births. There are a million missing babies in Europe. We've had 21% drop. Oh, is it 21%? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um and oh wait, you're saying New Zealand is a twenty? New Zealand, yeah, latest stats. Yeah. Can you send those to me or show show me? I can. Where I, can. I can. Yeah. God. And like that's just the beginning. You know, we don't know if that's going to be the worst of it, right? So, that's not just twenty one percent drop in live births. That's a. That's a, a. That's thousands and thousands and thousands of women who spontaneously aborted or miscarried or had stillbirths or, or couples who couldn't conceive, you know, that's, it's not just a neutral, Oh, they're gone. They're missing. This is like heartache after heartache after heartache and, and independent midwives whom I've interviewed and Dr. Jim Thorpe, a fetal maternal medicine specialist are also reporting what's also in the Pfizer documents, um, fetal malformations, uh, chromosomal, uh, abnormalities in babies, um, babies born prematurely because the placentas fall apart because they're compromised by lipid nanoparticles, which traverse every membrane in the human body. Um, so we know my team knows the cause of the baby die off around the world. And also babies are being poisoned by their mother's breast milk. If their moms are vaccinated, the MRNA and the lipid nanoparticles are in the breast milk and Pfizer's charts show that babies are getting sick and some babies are dying from nursing vaccinated moms. There's this hideous chart that in the Pfizer documents that shows like, you know, all of these babies had swelling of their tissue on nursing for their vaccinated moms. These babies had fever. These babies had chills. These babies are in seizures. You know, these babies are vomiting. I mean, and they just kept going. You know, they didn't tell us. And, and nursing has has dropped from 34% of mothers to 14% because the babies can't tolerate. There's there's polyethylene glycol in, in vaccinated mother's milk now. Hmm. Um, so oh, has it made an impact that I've been talking about this? Because you'd think that, that out of everything would just hammer anyone listening to them. Oh, you would think so. Knock I, them off I, their feet. Well, I mean, it's again, it's Maybe kind of it weird, is. I don't know. right? Like half of America has heard my warnings and half hasn't. And it's really weird, like talking about metaphysical stuff. The half that have heard me, they're God's people. I'm not kidding. They're like the only people who want to talk about this are like ministers, priests, Orthodox Jewish rabbis. 
you know, I'm talking to a lot of religious men about menstrual problems, you know, because the legacy media doesn't want to talk to me about it or give me a platform. Oh, you think The Guardian, where I used to be a columnist, or The New York Times, where I used to write op-eds, nothing, crickets. In fact, I'm fencing with The New York Times because they're doing a hit piece on me, you know, to follow up on a Vanity Fair hit piece because I'm over the target. So I guess to answer your question, I think it is having an impact or else these big news outlets wouldn't be sending their assassins to try to besmirch my reputation further. Um but not nearly enough of an impact because a lot of people don't haven't heard this and it should be front page news. It's the biggest story of our times, you know? So when, when you have hit pieces done on you, do you think they're doing that because they truly believe that you, you know, you're a seriously deluded woman can sort of gone nuts, gone crazy, deserves to be shot down. Or do you think they're fully aware, but, but kind of they have to do that. Is sort of their role in whatever's going on is to is to do that because you're suspending every journalistic principle, everything that these people have ever known professionally. I would imagine many of them anyway in doing that. Well, look at the money flow. Um, money. Fifty-five million went from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to the BBC for. Um, health reporting to overcome vaccine hesitancy. Millions went, uh, there was a good, um, the nation's uh, story about this. Millions went to the, I'm sorry, to the Guardian, um, NPR, PBS. Uh, and and that was from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They're invested in the vaccines and the, the funding went to, you know, promoting the vaccines. And also then you've got the CARES Act in my country, which was like a billion dollars. And it, hundreds of millions went to influencers and straight to the media and also to like local community organizers, like all the way down to little churches and synagogues and, you know, Korean dance troops in the Bronx um, to, to overcome vaccine hesitancy and to promote, you know, vaccine equity. Um, So how much did the New York times get? How much did Vanity Fair get? I don't know, but I know that pharma is 70% of television advertising dollars so the New York Times, you know, gets money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for sure. I think I confirmed that earlier. And I don't know their money flow. I should check before the interview, but I don't think they can report objectively about what I'm saying. I mean, this is such big news. If they if they had any journalistic integrity, they this would be on the front page. You know, what I'm finding, what our our experts are finding, you know, leaving me out of it. They might think I'm not whatever. They might have issues with me. But, the, you know, what my 3,500 experts have found, they are impeccably credentialed. And mm. if the if journalism was working. Well, even if conscience, know, conscience was working. If conscience was working. It goes right down to that layer, doesn't it? Well, not really, because I don't, I think journalism in the West, including New Zealand, is so broken by bribes that I don't think journalists anymore have these dark nights of the soul. Oh, you know, am I really reporting this accurately? I think they're fully stenographers now, legacy media journalists, and they, they don't have the choice. Like literally, they don't have the choice. I mean, I've 
had two historians, you know, on an email thread with the corrections editor of the New York Times. This was my last book where they tried to smear me in advance. It was a book that pointed out that in the 19th century, um, cholera and typhus epidemics led the British state to grab all the power and to uh, take away people's rights. And so I was being kind of wiped off the chessboard in advance. And um, I had two distinguished historians on the email thread, like the most distinguished historians in their field saying Naomi's right, the New York Times is wrong. And the corrections editors to this day, it's not corrected. So I don't think they have the choice. I think that I mean, it was shocking. Apoorva Mondavili was the New York Times journalist covering um, the pandemic and the vaccines. And I, and she she respected me. And I like, you know, she's a young journalist woman. She's a mom. She was on Twitter in, in 2020, 2021, and she was pushing the vaccines for pregnant women. I'm like, Apoorva, where are the data? Where are the data showing these are safe? There are no data showing that these are safe. There they don't exist. Show me the data that you're making that recommendation on the basis of. And she blocked me. So they're not free to not kill off whom they've been told to kill off. I want to ask you about Trump, because I believe that you um, were at his Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey. Um, yes. what, what was that for? Is that when he announced he was running again? Was that the occasion or what was the occasion? No, no big political announcements. It was just a um, a talk mostly about Israel to a group of um, oh, okay. Jews, American Jews. Yeah. He, he's fascinating, obviously. Um, and um, there's a lot of interest, obviously, in 2016 um, when he was elected and certainly here in newsrooms and stuff that, you know, was a running bet on, on what would happen. Um, how do we describe him? How do we what describe President Trump? Trump? Yeah. What is he? I mean, what is I it? don't know. I mean, you're not going to like my answer to this. I, this comes from my having advised um, a presidential re-election campaign and a vice president. I don't think it matters. Like people get so caught up in believing that a presidential candidate or a prime minister candidate will be the hero or is the villain. It doesn't matter, right? These people are all up. You know, they're like, if you're at that level, you're already a narcissist or a sadist or a seducer. So, or... so there's no way you can get to that level without being that. Is that the filter? That's yeah, but also it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't right, matter. Okay. I mean, probably the greatest leaders, Churchill, you know, Roosevelt, they were probably, you could do a whole breakdown of their psych psychiatric shortcomings. I guess what I'm trying to say is the only thing that matters are the policies and the outcomes. And I well, he did quite well by that measure then. Well, this is what I'm reluctantly concluding now that I'm kind of listening to him directly and, and listening to looking at his policies objectively instead of absorbing this propaganda barrage from legacy media. I'm not endorsing. I can't endorse. I'm nonpartisan. And there's still so many things I don't like about him personally. But I do recognize in retrospect that those were good years for the United States and there were some very good policies um, and big achievements, you know, for the United States. And compared to now when we're in bed with tyrants and doing that, like the lapdog of China, you know, I'm positively nostalgic. Yeah. So is he, is he potentially a savior? 
well, of your republic? Like, because if you, if you guys go down, we go down. You know that, eh? Yeah, I don't. I don't like to like. It's the people who are the saviors, yeah. right? Like people. But it has to be expressed through some way, some well, tip but of the again, spear or whatever. See, I, I'm going to be so annoying because, kind of, again, not really. You can have a horrible president or spineless president or prime minister, and if the people, if if a republic is in good shape and the levers of democracy are in good shape that person can't do much damage because the, you know, the people will be steering the, the ship. And I guess one reason I try to always stop people from thinking, is he a savior? Is he a villain? Is that it offloads the civic responsibility, you know, in a working democracy, you and I are running things and we've, you know, we've been propagandized so much to forget that, but we can't let go of that. You and I have to be running things, hmm. not just us, our, friend, you know, like our fellow citizens as well. Well, I think people are, are kind of demoralized too in ever even considering being part of that process because it seems to be so, well, brutal is one word, but so compromising. You know, um, you get in there and you, you kind of, I've known politicians who I've known before that become politicians and they do literally change in, yeah. in the role, you know. I don't mean by running for office. I okay. mean by yep. affecting passing bills or right. lobbying. And I don't know what the structures are like in New Zealand. I don't know how much access people have to the legislative process or how well they can lobby their representatives. Well, well it looks like you've got access, but they don't really listen, right? Okay. Right. I guess. You know, yeah. They run a good game of looking like they're listening, but you know, there'd be submissions, endless submissions on something, and they all seem to be disregarded and what they plan to do anyway happens. So gotcha. you get a lot of that. Are you able to meet with your representatives directly? Oh, you can you can yeah have a meeting with your local member of parliament as as um as they they are here, but but they're more beholden to the party than the electorate now. You see, so got it. Are you, you able know? to get rid of your member of parliament if or is that well, you can vote them out? But uh, the the patterns of voting are kind of habitual. It's your I guess it, it, you know Democrats Republicans you know, slightly left of the center, slightly right of the center, but in effect, a, a kind of a uniparty effect, not much changes. Right. I mean, that's sad and very much like countries around the world. I We're lucky, but also we've worked hard in the United States. Um, well, I've worked hard. Um, specifically, we have something called Bill Cam that I built where you can search any state or federal bill and read it and share it through social media. And that's been very effective at um, changing legislation, you know, citizens driving, um, lobbying their representatives to change legislation or to pass legislation. And we've passed a bunch of bills, like we passed the five freedoms bill, um, you know, end emergency law, open schools, no vaccine mandates, um, couple of other things I've forgotten in 33 yep. states, but it takes a lot of work. I would highly recommend, I know this is easy for me to say, because parliamentary systems really are much more calcified um, and harder to penetrate, but I'd really recommend that the New Zealanders listening to me and you now not vote habitually. The, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is throw people out of office and and your representatives need to know that they're answerable to you. And the other thing I would say is, do you know where your bills are? You know, find where your there must be a legislative database. Maybe it's unsearchable. A lot of them are bad, but see if you can find your bills and see if you can 
organize your neighbors and lobby your representatives and get rid of them. Let them know you're getting rid of them if they don't, um, you know, respond to popular will. That's a paradigm change for the average voter here because things have been so stable and so benign for so mm-hmm. long. Yeah. People are out of the habit completely of yeah. really analyzing anything or, or taking interest personally in anything. That you seems know, to be you, what's happened. You see something so important. Um, I often ask myself, why was Europe so nice for 60 years, right, after the war? And the EU was so benign. It's like museums, free museums, you know, great legislation, environmental protections, human rights protection. Everything was so nice that I think it was intentional. <laughs> it it kind of um, created two generations of people who are not used to the legislative process because everything was taken care of. So they're in a bit that they're easier to maneuver let's say later on well, but but also in those 60 years and this probably happened in new zealand too i haven't studied it but it's very common in those 60 years after the war well i guess 70 years after the war 80 wait it's getting on for that yeah it was 40, 55 yeah about about just over 80 yeah yes um I, the pieces of representative democracy were quietly dismantled in the EU. It's probably true in New Zealand as well. Hmm. I, I, I'm guessing that two decades ago, it was easier to react to legislation than it is now. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, just um, a couple more points, because you mentioned China earlier on. Our major trading partner in New Zealand is China. Without oh a, a trading relationship with them, we are on the skids, basically. What what do you trade with them? Um, mainly dairy products. Interesting. So milk powder um, and any anything else dairy. And also logs, you know, wood, things like that. Primary commodities. But if they, if they don't like us and they frost us out, we've got a big problem. And, of course, we've got the U.S. on the other side, the traditional ally. Yeah. Can I just ask, what did you guys do economically before you were trading partners with China? Well, because we were a uh, colony of of Mother England, we had a, um, like Australia, a, a pretty well direct line into, again, dairy, butter, um, milk, um, sheep meat, beef, and, and there were quotas there. And that actually, when that was running hot during the 50s, it was the highest standard of living our country's ever had. Wow. But, uh, of course, the EU came along and um, and everything changed, and that access got watered down to the point where we had to find other markets, and China ended up being the, the number one. So is this China enforcing itself, if it's not metaphysical, is there, or, or maybe it's part of the mix, is this China enforcing a kind of a way of being on the face of the earth, or, I mean, are they just about business and would kind of do business with Anyone? Where, where do you? I guess where I'm, what I'm asking. Where do you think China fits in, a, in on this? And it's a big question for us here. Yeah. Well, I think China is the reason that New Zealand and Australia and Canada were the petri dishes, you know, because the Chinese influence is so strong. But would they have calculated this <laughs> this pulling apart of you know our our kind of way of being and operating, which is has happened. Well, I believe I, I believe yes. I mean, I'm persuaded by um, very thoughtful China hawks like General Spalding, and I am influenced by the work of my husband Brian O'Shea, who spent 
his career in military intelligence and in the intelligence community. And he has shown me enough primary source documentation of how China has done exactly that, like planned for decades, studied our way of life, studied our culture, studied our values, and placed basically sleeper cells in our universities, in, you know, our entertainment, our our sports teams, Um, you know, carefully bought up our water resources, buying up our farmland, buying up our ports. Um, And and this has all been put in place. I mean, Brian, my husband makes, uh, I guess, China Hawks point out that we in the West play chess and checkers, which is, and, you know, we think of war being like two armies going like this, Hmm. whereas the Chinese communist sensibility and the Chinese military sensibility for centuries is the game of go where you surround your enemy slowly, you surround your enemy slowly. And so I think we don't pay any attention to Chinese culture and values and civilization. We don't have, I don't even think we've got um, intelligence operatives in China um, or not very effective or consistent ones to my knowledge. Not that I know anything about it. And and apparently even students who come to the West are obligated to report back to, to the apparatus. Um, so I think we're thoroughly porous to China and China is smarter than we are, you know, and this is racism too. The West is like, well, we'll make, you know, we'll make use of this trading partner and this slave labor. It's so handy. And, you know, we're, we're smarter than they are, but in fact, they're smarter than we are. They know we're and- going to think that, right? Exactly. And and also Brian points out that a, a tenet of this tactic is to um, act weak to your enemy and then, you know, kind of rise up when your enemy is persuaded that you're weak. But the point is now um, there's there's absolute anti-freedom propaganda in our universities. Um, I mean, I look at what my 12 year old stepson is is being taught in public school. It's like or what my, my, you know, my college aged loved ones are being taught. It's like to hate the United States, to hate the West, to hate our freedoms. Certainly um, racial issues are being used as a wedge issue to divide us in a way that's not even historically accurate. You know, like we have horrible racial problems, but, you know, Juneteenth, right, which is a holiday. It's not, it didn't come about because of black activism alone. It came about because white and black people in America fought to end slavery, you know, and that's just erased, right? Uh, trans issues are, and I support trans rights, right, are being used as a wedge issue. Um, you know, the the sectors of society are being turned against each other, and it's not organic. Um, the things, you know, the things we see are not organic. Trans people before a couple of years ago were not yelling at women, you know, or, or I remember, scenes, yeah. right. It was just not part of that culture. And there was a lot of respect for women, you know, in the trans community. And so these are not organic um, dramas, social dramas. They're, they're absolutely scripted and they're scripted by our adversaries to, to weaken us. Um, and, you know, I, as you know, I think the injection is a bioweapon, you know, man, it's now manufactured by China in an MOU with Pfizer. It's distributed by China. China owns the IP uh, and it's killing the West and sterilizing the next generation. That's a, a classic act of war. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it, the Wuhan lab is, <laughs> is where it came from. It's crazy to have a lab in Wuhan. The thing comes from Wuhan, but it doesn't come from the lab. 
doesn't sound right. Okay, right. so how, how do you um, – I mean, it's a question on everybody's mind, I guess, who listens to our radio station and what we sort of talk about. Will this resolve in any sort of good way, do you think, or are we heading for hell in a handbasket here? What do you think? Well, I, I guess, again, I'm a little worried at your phrasing. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. I, I mean, I know – and, and I want to say this very carefully because I think you had like the worst and most evil prime minister. Is it a premier or prime minister? Just prime minister. Prime minister. Prime minister. In like one of the worst of the worst. And, and the and, one who's there now is her deputy. So. Oh God. Oh God. Tweedledum, Tweedledee. Yeah. And I think horrible things were done to the people of New Zealand under her, you know, reign. And, um, I, I believe that the kind of traumas that New Zealand and Australia and Canada have gone through are, well, I know from studying um, torture that I think your whole country has been brutalized, right? In I think it'd be fair to say. Yeah, yeah, fair to yeah. say. I mean, we're, we're small populations, so the degrees of separation are small. So, you know, there are many people who have, you know, families that have been divided and friendships that have been broken up, as you alluded to earlier, but it's you know so many people are in that situation here you know personally yeah well i guess what i meant to say there is i think so much was done to the people of new zealand and australia to make them give up or to make them feel powerless um i mean in australia you know people protesting had rubber bullets shot at them mm. um they use sound know, cannon that. weapons on us what kind of weapons sound cannon weapons you know um directed um I don't know the exact uh, terminology. No, for them, I know what you mean. I know low frequency, mean. very loud audio, which damages hearing and and stuff. So okay. you know, and, okay. and no one even knew they had those weapons until they pulled oh, them out. That's so shocking. See, that should be front page news, and this and is the first I've heard of with it. kids. <gasps> kids, yeah, in the crowds. Oh my gosh. So this is kind of what I got to. No, I, I didn't want to, to make it sound like it was so bleak, but you know, there's always hope. But well, undoing yeah. this, undoing this is like a seems like a huge job. Well, but I want to speak to what you're saying because these things are connected. When people have been brutalized to that extent, they're really it's very hard to think of a way out. And I guess what I wanted to say in your phrasing is when you say, will this resolve, it won't resolve unless we resolve it, right? The the people doing this to us are not going to stop. They're just accelerating. They're going faster and coming down harder. Um, I mean, here in the US, they're kind of drumming up another variant. And We you know, see that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And we anticipate that it'll land here pretty soon too. Oh, sure. I mean, and, and this was foreseeable, but I guess what I, I'm saying is, but it's very hard to advise you, right? Because if you're, if your leaders are willing to torture the citizens like that, it's very hard to say, we'll just rise up. You know, honestly, I think you guys have to um, get your guns back. I don't know what the policies are in New Zealand. Well, they were taken away. I don't know how familiar you are with recent history here, but there was a mosque shooting one of our God. cities and 50 people were killed. And that's horrible and terrible, you know. But uh, that was a um, that that was a sort of watershed moment for confiscating guns That's right. from from legal gun owners, you know, um, who have got a huge history of being very peaceful and responsible. 
and right. and the guy who did it turned out to be an Australian. He wasn't even from New Zealand, so it's kind of a weird sort of set of circumstances. But I think um, over a quarter of a million firearms were bought back and and put through the grinder or whatever they do with them. Good, good Lord. I remember that whole thing, and I remember thinking, "Don't do it. This is a terrible mistake. Like whatever happened, however awful, don't don't do it because." that was a tactic, you know, they got, they got your guns and without the first amendment and the second amendment. Um, and I'm a very peaceful person. I'm the daughter of hippies. I, you know, very peaceful. Um, but, but I think the only thing that's keeping us able to fight back the way we are in the U S is the second amendment. And so I do say peacefully and I hope no one arrests me, I think you guys need to pass legislation to get your guns back. If there's a way to do it, if there are sympathetic leaders in your parliament, um, I think that's huge. And to, uh, you know, to criminalize the use of force against protesters, you know, you need your, the equivalent of your first and second amendment rights back. Yeah. I mean, people have still got their gun licenses, but the, the available firearms are massively reduced. It's probably the best way of, of putting that. They did come for the guns. And no can, one quite understood. Sorry. Sorry, say again? Can gun owners, I mean, people with licenses not order guns from overseas sources? Uh, they they can, well, no, I don't know if they can order them from overseas. They probably have to have some sort of import, um, you know, certification. They can go and buy them. Um, but I think it's, uh, I mean, I'm not a firearms owner, so I don't really know. I only know from, from what people have told me who, who had the guns taken. Um, it was a buyback scheme, but it was very incentivized to hand them in. And to be fair, a lot of people thought, well, that makes sense at the time. Right. But now. I remember, but I remember a huge amount of propaganda too. Like, you know, you're a nice country full of nice people and people felt so horrible about that massacre that. It was horrible. Yeah. No, absolutely. Shocker. Absolute but, shocker. It, it It is. And I'm not trying to be like no, hurtless. Yeah. We've got to learn by now, like 9-11, you know, oh, it, you know, that was horrible. Now you lose, you know, your rights to not be free of, you know, warrantless surveillance. We've got to learn by now, you know, again, shock doctrine, like to to credit Naomi Klein, who's so upset at me. Um, just because horrible things happen, horrible things always happen in human history, that, like we've got to see the difference, you know, the the one doesn't mean that the other we have to comply with, right? Like we have to be willing to say, yes, it is catastrophic that the Twin Towers fell and 3,000 people died. Still, you don't get to surveil us. You know, still we have our constitution. Yeah. It's just very hard because, and social media makes it harder because I'm sure if you say that, and you know, if you said that at the time that that massacre was horrible, still, you know, we have rights as gun owners, you, you would, people would be reviled and censured and canceled and all the things. So we have to be stronger about that, right? We have to be willing to be called names. Okay. So just to, to wind up uh, the, the other fascinating thing to watch is the sort of the, the, the Trump indictments and the way they sort of seem to be in time with other things that, that are happening. Uh, I've watched a few commentators, Alan Dershowitz and so forth, really just say it's, it's basically ridiculous. It's kind of embarrassing almost if it wasn't so sort of scary. So what do you think will happen there? And, um, I mean, Trump, he's running again. Uh, he's got some 
competitors there that are impressing people, and there's RFK Jr. Oh, yeah. What do you make of RFJ Cunha, uh, RFK Jr.? Um, well, sorry about that. Um, well, you know, I can't endorse, um, and yeah. I do know him. He's an acquaintance. I like him a lot. I respect him a lot. I think his his candidacy is really good for the country. I think he's raising issues that have to be raised. He's um, the only one, isn't he? Talking about a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. He's the only one. Yeah, he is. And I personally think a Trump RFK Jr. ticket is, you know, the the one way out of the plans that the global elites have for us. I think it would be a very healthy ticket. And do you think he'll, um, you know, navigate the, you know, the indictments through that period? Uh, I, I do think so. I mean, I, I, you know, he's like a cat. He's got nine lives. Um, I think he'll win on appeal because they are like, I was with Gore 2000. I believe Dershowitz was with Gore 2000 and both of us have written and other people too been pointing out that all the things or many of the things Trump is being indicted for both Bush and Gore did in 2000, because that's the way democracy works. So I think it will be difficult um, to sustain those charges because they're outside of the norms of our democracy. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Let's leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on for the chat. It's been really cool okay. talking to you. Likewise. And may I shamelessly plug? You can um, shamelessly thank plug anything. Thank you so much. If people want to read the 79 uh, reports by the Pfizer documents volunteers, they're all available for free on dailyclout.io. And if you want to support our work, please order it in book form. It's also a wonderful thing to give your loved ones, your doctor, your school, your university, um, you can go to Amazon and order it. The Pfizer documents, research reports, four room daily cloud, Pfizer documents, research reports, or you can order it on our website, dailycloud.io. Thank you so much for letting me say that. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.